After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Matthew 11:12. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. Matthew 16, 24-25. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whosoever loses his life for me will find it. Luke 19, 8-10 But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Matthew 24:14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Acts 18, 6-7. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other brothers before the city officials, shouting, These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here, and Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. Acts 19.8 Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. Acts 19.18-20 Many of those who believe now came and openly confessed their evil deeds. Witherington, a scholar, translates that divulged their magical spells. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. That's 50,000 pieces of silver. And one drachma or one piece of silver is a day's wage. I have no idea how that calculates today, but it's a lot of money. <laughs> in this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. Acts 28, 30-31 For two whole years Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. Boldly and without hindrance, he preached the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ. Titus 2, 14 Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people or a people of his own, as the NIV says. Zealous of good works. 1 Peter 2, 9 but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20 Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit which is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own? 
For you've been bought with a price. Glorify now then God in your body. 2 Corinthians 6.18 to 7.1 Therefore come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. Colossians 3.8 But now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Ephesians 5.12 For the things that are done by them in secret, it is shameful even to say. 2 Timothy 2.21-22 Now in a large house there are not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and of earthenware, and some to honor and some to dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses, purges himself from these things, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Romans 13:14. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. Matthew 28:19-20. Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Mark 16:16. 16, 16. He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. But he that believes not shall be damned. Acts 2, 40-41 And with many other words did he, Peter, testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. Acts 8, 12 But when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized both men and women. Acts 16, 32-33 And they spoke the word of the Lord together with all who were in the house. And he took them that very hour of the night and washed their wounds. And immediately he was baptized, he and all his household. 1 Corinthians 6, 3-4 Know ye not that so many of us, as were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism in the death that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. On Romans 12, 1-2, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and you will be able to test and approve what God's will is his high, pleasing, and perfect will. I have never read so many passages of Scripture and a message in my life. But I hope that as this evening continues, that these passages will have more meaning to you. I want us all to stand up and I want to say a prayer. And then we'll sit down and I'll, I'll begin. I just want you to agree with me here. Lord... I ask that you would cover me tonight as I speak. I ask that your Holy Spirit would anoint me, my lips, my mind, and my heart. And that your Spirit, your life, would come out of this frail, broken, imperfect vessel. 
And I ask that you would move upon the hearts of every brother and sister here. And that tonight we would look back and say that you spoke to us. But more than that, that you would give us the willingness that you'd move upon our will and our mind and our emotions, but mostly our will and our minds, to open them, to open our heart to you uh, for what you wish to do with us as individuals and also as a people and as a church for your glory. So, Lord, we trust you. I trust you. And we give you this meeting. Amen. Amen. I want to say a few words of introduction before I plunge in here. Uh, Milt, Alan, and myself, beginning a year ago, and this meeting marks the first day after a, a year of the birth of the church here, we have been seeking to share Christ with you, to lay a foundation as, as strongly and as thoroughly as we can in the short amount of time that, that we have with you. We began by looking at Christ in Colossians, and we got to see how glorious He is, how great He is, how wonderful and amazing He is. We also got to see how, how easy it is to be distracted from Him and to pursue some other thing. Not, not things of the world now. That's not what we talked about. But spiritual things and religious things and things that have to do with the Lord but are not the Lord. And so we spent four months doing that. And then I gave a series of messages on living by the indwelling life of Christ. And thanks to Mark, uh, we have those on DVD. And I will be giving a set to the church to uh, pass around. Those of you who are not here, I think those are foundational and very important. And it wouldn't hurt to go through those again if you feel so inclined. And then Milt brought messages that followed that on living in Christ and being in Christ, walking in Christ. All of that was background preparation for tonight because we really need to see who Jesus is our hearts must be opened our eyes must be opened to see him so that when we hear his word it's very easy to turn to him if we really don't know who he is that's difficult to do it's difficult to surrender your whole life to somebody who you're not quite sure who they are. And Jesus is much more than someone who died on the cross for your sins. As wonderful as that is, uh, I hope you got to see a little bit of what I'm talking about. Did you not? Yes. Two words. One, I said to the brothers Monday night that if you have been part of organized religion for any length of time, then you suffer from something, and that is you have legalism flowing in your bloodstream. Some more than others, but it's there. 
But let me tell you what legalism is. It, it comes in two forms. One, the one type of legalist is a person that believes that God's love, God's acceptance, is based on their performance. So they're always trying to score brownie points with the Father, with God, not realizing that he stopped keeping score a long time ago. And he doesn't operate like that. He looks at you the same as he does when you have a bad day as when you have a good day. Uh, his acceptance and love for you is not tied to your conduct. But the legalist thinks it is and is constantly striving to please and make God happy. In so doing, they're living by their own energy, their own self-effort. And it's just a, it's a hamster wheel. You know, then you never get off of it. It's a treadmill of performance. But the other kind of legalism, and these, these do overlap sometimes, is this. Every one of us in this room has, if you're a Christian, personal moral standards. You have a line when it comes to certain activities that are not explicitly stated in the Bible. Okay? Some Christians don't seem to have any lines whatsoever when it comes to that, but most of us do. And when it comes to your own personal moral standards, I'm talking about things that go beyond what the Scripture clearly teaches. There's no problem with that. We are to follow our conscience. And some people have a weak conscience and some people have a strong conscience. Paul said this in, in his letters to the Corinthians. No problem with that. I'm going to give an illustration. And I'm going to give a wacky illustration. I can give illustrations that are very close to home. And I don't want to do that. So I'm going to give illustrations that I don't think apply to anybody here. But you can insert so many things there that apply to a lot of us. Okay? These are things not in the Bible, but we feel they are wrong. Okay? Uh, you take a married couple, they have kids. And we'll just say they feel it is a sin for their children to watch television. And they're convinced of that. Totally convinced that if their child watches TV, doesn't matter what it is, they have sinned, the child has sinned, the parents have sinned. Okay? That's fine. I don't have a problem with that. You shouldn't have a problem with that. You just want to make sure you don't have a television on if the children come into your house. Uh, or if someone, is, they're not a parent, they just have been taught and they believe that wearing blue jeans is a sin. And for them to wear blue jeans, that is wrong. Okay, no problem with that, brothers and sisters. But here is what legalism is. It's when you take your own personal moral standard of what you think is right or wrong and you apply it to everyone else. That has just made you a legalist. You have taken something that is beyond Scripture, it is a personal conviction, and you have thrust it on the believers. And so I'm now looking at Wes and Brian down my nose, and you brothers are not spiritual. And you really, really, you, you may not realize this, but you're sinning against God because you're wearing blue jeans. 
Uh, and the same thing with the parent observes other children watching television. And let me tell you what comes with legalism. Two things, always. Self-righteousness and judgmentalism. These things will kill and destroy relationships every time. And let me tell you something. The Lord Jesus Christ, if you can say He hates something, if we could say He hates something beyond everything else, it's self-righteousness and judgmentalism. And that's what the Pharisee is. And he did not like the Pharisees. Yes, he loves everybody. Yes, but I'm talking about that attitude of self-righteousness and judgmentalism. That will make him vomit. And just read the Gospels carefully and you'll see it all over the place. He had a big problem with it. Let me make a statement here. This is a a Frank Viola original. You're welcome to quote me. (laughs) But there's only one person in the universe that has the right to be self-righteous. And he isn't. That's Jesus, by the way, if you didn't get that. (laughs) Now that I think about it. Um, Now, why am I saying all this? Because this message that I'm going to bring tonight in the ears of a legalist can be misinterpreted. I will tell you up front, there will not be a hint of legalism in what I share with you tonight. If you hear it, you're hearing wrong. Um, I'm being dead serious. The second thing I want to say is that there is nothing that has happened that has provoked me to share this message. What I'm sharing with you is not aimed at anybody in this room. The fact of the matter is, I'm clueless about most of you when it comes to your private lives. And I like, I like it to stay that way. Because I'm not here to be your monitor, your guardian, police officer, your enforcer, um, or anything you want to say there. I am a brother who has one intention, and that is to open up an avenue for you to deal with the Lord. That's what I'm going to do tonight. I'm going to open up an avenue for you to deal with the Lord. God is after a people He can possess completely. God is after a people in whom He can work God is after a people that give him a free way, a clear way to work deeply in their lives. And so what I am seeking to do, brothers and sisters, is as a fellow brother in Christ, as someone who is a peer, is to open up an avenue for you to deal with your Lord. so that he can have what he wants. And so I'm going to begin talking about the gospel. I think if I were to say, how many of you have heard the gospel? Of course, we're Christians, most of us in this room, if not all of us. You said, of course, I heard the gospel. That's Jesus died for my sins. I need to believe that he is the Messiah, the Savior. I receive him into my heart, I accept him as my savior, and now I am not going to go to hell when I die, 
I will be saved from eternal torment. And that's the gospel I heard. It is correct, but it is not complete. And I would suggest to you that it is a diluted gospel. If you've heard any version of that. And if we were in the first century, brothers and sisters, sisters and brothers, we would have gotten a very, very different impression as to what the gospel was. And so I would suggest to you that we all regard tonight as the first time we have heard the gospel. And that we regard ourselves as being new converts. And that we mark this evening to be a new beginning with our walk with the Lord. Let's go back to the first century and let's take John the Baptist. We're going to start with him and we're going to bring him to the 21st century. And we're going to take his message that he preached, that we read about in the New Testament, and we're going to contemporize it and make it a 21st century message. But it's the same message that he brought, just to a different audience. Here's what John the Baptist would have said if he were here today, preaching what he preached then. It would sound something like this. The United States of America is in the hands of the devil. And you belong to the United States of America. And you're part of it. And you've given yourselves to it. The Baptist denomination, the Methodist denomination, the Presbyterian denomination, the Pentecostal denomination and every other denomination is in the hands of the devil not the people but the system the political system of your world whether you be a Republican a Democrat an Independent a Libertarian or whatever it is you are your political system is in the hands of the devil. And the axe is being laid to the root and the tree is going to be coming down very soon. And God will have a new tree. For your religious system, your national system, and your political system is in the hands of God's enemy. It is all part of the world system. And Satan is the God of this world. But I have good news. There will be, very soon, arriving to this planet, a new nation. And it will not have anything to do with and it will not be part of your national system your political system your religious system in fact it will not be part of the social order of this world at all it will come from a different place and it will arrive on planet earth and it will lay claim to this entire world and this new nation will have a president a king and he will be 
the Son of Almighty God. And He will come to establish a brand new nation. Different from what's on the planet today. And if you would like to be part of this new nation, and come down here in this water that I'm standing in, repent of every sin you have committed, which doesn't mean be sorry for it, it could include that, but it means turn away and renounce your affiliation to this world system and you will be baptized which is for you the statement to men and angels and principalities and powers that you are finished with the systems of this world you no longer belong to them you are dying to them and when you come up out of that water Spend some time out here in the desert where I am. Stay aloof. Stay loose until the new king comes who's bringing forth this new nation. Now, brothers and sisters, that was the message of John the Baptist. The only difference is he preached it about 50 times stronger than I just declared it to you. And it astonished the people of the first century. It flabbergasted them. And he had some people accept that message and go down in that water and pledge to a new king who had not yet arrived. And one of them's name is Andrew. And another's name is Peter. And another's name is John. They all broke loose from the present world system. They stopped giving their pledge to the Hebrew flag. They renounced everything and were waiting for the new king to establish the new nation. And as Jesus said, old wine cannot be put in old wineskins. These were new wineskins. And John the Baptist, his very countenance depicted what God wanted on the inside. He let his hair grow out long. No razor came to it. He lived out in the desert and he lived on the free honey that the bees made and the free locusts that the uh, land produced. And one day he found uh, a camel and skinned it. And those were his clothes. And when you looked at him, this was somebody who was not part of this world. His message was so total so complete it was a finality to it the ending of the old order in anticipation for this new nation and that new nation has a name and the name is 
the kingdom of God. And that brings us to Jesus of Nazareth. The Lord saw fit that John the Baptist would bring such an outrageous, radical, revolutionary, subversive word before Christ arrived to prepare the way. And what I want to say to you about Jesus when he came, his message was really the same. The only difference is, he said, the kingdom of God is here. And it's at hand. And the message of the Lord Jesus, the good news, the gospel of the kingdom, was this. Leave everything. Renounce everything. Break your ties to everything in this world. Leave it all. Drop it all. And come follow me. For I am establishing a new nation, a new kingdom, a new civilization. And that's what he preached. I'm not making this up. We read uh, some of the passages, but it's all over the New Testament. It was radical. The kingdom of God. Let me tell you what the kingdom of God is. The kingdom of God is never defined in the Bible. You'll never find a nice, neat definition. It's illustrated everywhere. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed that grows imperceptibly until it takes over the whole world. The kingdom of God is like a merchant man. The kingdom of God is like hidden treasure. The kingdom of God is like a woman searching for a lost coin. But I will give you a definition of the kingdom of God that I think is probably the best definition that there is. The kingdom of God is the manifestation of God's ruling presence. The manifestation, the visible manifestation of God's ruling presence. God is ruling the heavenly realm. But when that rule hits the earth, there you have the kingdom of God. Wherever God is ruling, wherever God is manifesting His presence, there you have the kingdom of God. Now I'm going to come back to this in a minute, but I just want to say something about how Christians view the kingdom of God today. There are many views on it, but I'll give you the two main ones, okay? There are those who see the kingdom of God as being not yet. The kingdom of God is not yet. And these are the escapist Christians. The world's getting worse and worse. It's not going to get better. But there's coming a day where the kingdom of God will come. Jesus will return. He's going to make it all right. And all we got to do now is just wait for Him to come. And we really can't make the world a better place. And we're not supposed to try. And the earth's going to dissolve anyhow. So it doesn't matter how you treat it. 
And we just need to wait for the sweet by and by when the kingdom comes. The kingdom is not yet. In contrast to that, there is a group that says the kingdom is already. The kingdom's here. In fact, it's all here. It's totally here. And this is a teaching that's picked up steam today, and I talked to the brothers about it on Monday night. Jesus has already returned. The resurrection has already happened. God's waiting for us to make the world a better place. To make the world a utopia. So the kingdom of God is already. Well, brothers and sisters, without giving you a theological treatise, let me just tell you, and I think scripture will bear this out, that the kingdom of God is already, but not yet. The kingdom of God is already, but not yet. The kingdom of God is here now, but it is not here in its fullness. You got that? It's here, but it's not here in its fullness. It's already, but not yet. Now let me get back to the manifestation of God's ruling presence. What is the manifestation of God's ruling presence? It is Christ Himself. When Jesus came on this earth, you saw the manifestation of God's ruling presence. He is the rule of God. He's the King. And He has authority over all nature and over the creeping things, the demons. He is also the very presence of God. God with us is His name, Emmanuel. And He is the manifestation of God. If you want to know what God looks like, look at Jesus. For He expresses the Father in His fullness. So Christ is the manifestation of God's presence. And the signs that He did, you know what those were? Those were visible signposts showing us what the world looks like when God is running the show. Those signs that He did show us what the kingdom of God looks like when it hits the earth. I'll tell you what it looks like. The poor get fed. The oppressed get delivered. The sinners have their sins forgiven. Completely. There's justice. There's peace. There's love. The sick get healed. If you look at the signs that Jesus did and step back what that was it was God's future breaking into the present God's future breaking into the present the kingdom of God the heavenly rule of God breaking into this present realm of sin and corruption God's future arriving in this man Jesus who is also the son of God So he went about showing what the kingdom of God was in everything he did. He was the embodiment of the kingdom. And it drew the opposition of earthly power. Both the power of Rome and the power of the religious system of that day. And both of them put him to death. But death could not hold him. And in his resurrection, 
sisters and brothers, in His ascension, the kingdom of God got yet another name. The kingdom of God got yet another name. The Ecclesia. The church of the living God. The kingdom of God came in with and through the church. Now let me hit pause here and tell you a little bit about Old Testament Israel. You know Old Testament Israel was God's people. Alright? They were called to be a signpost to the entire world, the whole pagan world, as to what a nation looks like when God's running the show, when God's in charge, when Yahweh is ruling. And they were to be a signpost to the entire world of what God, Yahweh, was like and what His kingdom is like. And you look at all of the, the laws that God gave Israel. It's all about justice. It's all about caring for the poor, the stranger. It's all about delivering the oppressed. You know, the year of Jubilee. And on and on. You had corners of the field were given to the poor. And you have this society of where justice and love and peace is to reign. Israel was to show the world what the kingdom of God was. And not only that, but through Israel, through this nation of Israel, all of the nations of the earth were to be blessed. They were not only to be a signpost, but they were to be a blessing. Well, Israel failed. They failed in two ways. One, they forgot that part about, through you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And they took all the blessing that God had given them and they kept it to themselves and they separated themselves from the world not in their conduct but in terms of the blessing and then they did the reverse on the other end they started compromising with the heathens and the pagans and they started intermarrying with them and following their gods and so they failed and brother and sister, what Israel was called to be, that's what the church is called to be. The ecclesia, when she is functioning properly, is a microcosm. It is a signpost of what the kingdom of God is. For the king is truly manifesting his ruling presence among that people. And that people have come out and severed all ties and renounced the present world system. Which, as John the Baptist said, and Paul said, and Jesus himself said, is in the hands of the devil. To be a colony of heaven, the heavenly realm on this earth. To show forth what the kingdom of God is. And not only that, but through you, be a blessing to those who do not know God to show forth what he is like and what his kingdom is like and also to be a blessing not to keep the blessing to yourself but to spread it to those who are willing to accept it
Then we have Paul of Tarsus. You know, his message was the same as the message of Jesus. It was the gospel of the kingdom. Read it. He went about preaching the kingdom of God. His message was so revolutionary to the Greco-Roman world that wherever he went, riots would break out. Let me tell you what his message was. His message was this. Caesar is no longer the emperor of the world. Augustus is no longer the man in charge. Instead, a Jewish man, an artisan, a woodworker, a a mason, a craftsman from this little obscure, insignificant town called Nazareth who was crucified put to death by Caesar's right hand and three days later rose again from the dead this Jesus of Nazareth, this Jew is now the new emperor and he is the Lord of the whole world and he demands your total allegiance what? can you imagine he he goes into the town of Thessalonica where there are the, the Greeks and he says to them yeah 20 years ago a Jewish man was crucified at the hands of the Romans he rose again from the dead they don't believe in that and he is the new emperor he is the new king he has upstaged Caesar Jesus is Lord of the whole world now not Mars not Jupiter not Aphrodite and to the Jews not the high priest not the rulers in Jerusalem but this lowly Jewish prophet now brothers and sisters that was an outrageous message and not only was it an outrageous message it was an unbelievable message unbelievable do you realize that it was an act of God Almighty for people to believe that in that day and it's the same way today if you have faith it's not because you're so smart it's because God put faith in you to believe something as I'll say it ludicrous sounding as that think about it and you know the word gospel in that day it means good news glad tidings that was a word that was used before Paul ever went about preaching the gospel all of the Greeks and the Romans in the Roman world knew what that word was it was the announcement it was used to announce that a new emperor had ascended to the throne you see when when an emperor when a Roman emperor died 
Everything was in disarray. No one knew what was going to happen next. Are we going to have enough food? Is there going to be a war? What's going to happen? You know, the, the guy that was running the show is dead. So when a new emperor ascended to the throne, he would send out his emissaries all over the land and they would go out heralding the gospel, the good news. And the good news was, there's a new emperor. He has just been enthroned and it would always come with this. There will be peace in the land. There will be justice. It is the beginning of a new world. Paul used that same language when he went about and preached the gospel. And it was the gospel. It was good news. Let me tell you who it was good news to. Jesus of Nazareth, the one that went about healing the sick, casting out demons, feeding the poor, healing the oppressed, preaching and teaching and embodying love. This Jesus, this one, is now Lord of the whole world. That's good news for the poor, isn't it? And not only that, but He is going to judge the world. He's going to bring justice to the world. And if He brings justice, that means He's going to divide the oppressors from the oppressed. And He's going to take care of, well... The poor have the gospel preached to them. That's good news for the poor. It's good news for the oppressed. It's good news for the sinner. Because part of the gospel, part of the good news is that this Jesus has also secured the forgiveness of every sin that you have committed. So it's good news for the sinner. Who is it bad news to? It's bad news to earthly power. Because they have to step aside for this new Lord. It's bad news to the forces that worship the gods of... And at that day, there were the gods of money, power, war, and sex. They had to step aside to make room for this new Lord of the world. And that's why there was such opposition. Such opposition. Where Paul would go around preaching this gospel of this new emperor... And he'd get stoned, beaten, imprisoned. It was an in-your-face challenge to Caesar himself. We read it. They're going around preaching another king. That's a subversive thing to do. And the message was, he is the true Lord of the world you are summoned and He is summoning you to give Him absolute allegiance. And to be part of His kingdom, you must break ties with this present world and the systems that run it. It was a radical message. It was John the Baptist all over again, except the kingdom is here. It's already, but not yet. And brothers and sisters, in that day... If you wanted to be part of that new kingdom, that new nation, and you were willing to accept the call of the gospel, which is to leave all and forsake all and follow this new Lord, Messiah to the Jews, Messiah to the whole world, 
the new emperor, the new Caesar, the new Lord, who is in conflict with all other powers of this earth, you had to bow the knee. Because that's what you did when the gospel of the new emperor ascending the throne. When you heard that gospel, it was the new emperor has ascended the throne. We have a new world now. There will be peace, justice. Now bow the knee and acknowledge him. Well, Jesus is now this world's true Lord. And so his call was, follow me. Leave everything and follow me. And when they accepted that gospel, when they obeyed that gospel, and the obeying of the gospel, and that is a word that's used in Romans, obeying the gospel, it was to repent. That means make your break with this world system. Make your break from the old creation, the old order. Make your break, sever the ties, separate yourself, renounce all the systems that are on this earth. That's what repent means. Turn away. Believe. And we have made the word believe to be nothing more, I say we, certain elements of Christianity, to be nothing more than mentally assent to a few theological propositions. Do you believe that Jesus of Nazareth lived on this earth and is a historical figure? Yes, I do. Checkmark. Do you believe that he's the Son of God? Yes, I do. Checkmark. Do you believe he died for your sins? Yes, I do. Checkmark. Will you say that out loud? Yes, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And died for my sins. Checkmark. Okay, well, you made it. Awesome. And now I will go live my life. And my Christian life is just a subset. It's just another segment of my political involvement, my national involvement, my social activities. It's just another slice of my life. Brothers and sisters, that was not the gospel of the first century. You know what they did when they repented and believed? You know what believe means in the New Testament? It is yield your heart. Yield yourself. Entrust your life to this person. Entrust yourself. It's not a mental thing. It's a heart thing. It's give allegiance to. It's not works. There's no works involved in that. It is a turning of your heart and giving this new Lord of this world allegiance rather than the gods that compete with Him. And you know what they did when they believed? We all know what they did, right? In the first century, it's very clear. They got on their knees and they repeated after the person that led them into the sinner's prayer. That's what they did. It's all over the New Testament. No, that's not what they did. They found some water. And they took that person out into the water. And they plunged him into the water. And by that baptism into water, 
that person was saying I'm going to contemporize it now I am an American I'm a citizen of the United States I'm also Italian by birth I'm a Republican I'm a Democrat I'm a Libertarian I'm a male I'm a female I belong to the Elks Club uh, I'm a gator I'm a gator I'm a Gainesvillian okay and all all of my whole life including my affiliations with the religious whatever that may be I'm a Baptist, I'm a Methodist, I'm a Presbyterian I was part of this movement and all the stuff that came with it I'm an addict I'm a sinner everything that went into that water and it was a burial they were saying I'm finished I am dead not, not that I'm going to renounce the affiliations and give up the affiliations it's not that it's I'm dead me I'm dead me is gone I'm finished I'm done and they would come to the believers and they would say I'm ready to be part of this new kingdom I'm ready to pay allegiance to this world's true Lord I'm ready to bow the knee I'm ready to forsake all and turn to him to be part of this new kingdom take me out to the graveyard and bury me and that's what they did they put them in the water yes all that I am all that I'm a part of I'm dead but the amazing thing and the beautiful thing is that those who die and follow the world's true Lord they always have a way of rising again from the dead and I hope you never forget that those who follow Jesus of Nazareth have a tendency to rise again from the dead and so what came up from the soil now what came up from that watery grave now was a citizen of a new kingdom was a member of a new nation that my dear brother and sister has nothing to do with this nation this political system or this religious system or this social order its origins come from another realm the heavenlies where God is ruling what came up from the grave was an Israelite of the new Israel and the New Testament calls the church the new Israel she is to be what Israel was called to be a demonstration of the kingdom of God visible, manifested, seeable, touchable, knowable and everything that that person was a part of is now left in the grave there was a complete ending, a total ending and the Christians because the world the pagan world understood what baptism was a severing of all ties 
and an entrance into a new kingdom with a new Lord because they understood what that was and who they were they were a threat to the social order they were an outrageous bunch of people in their eyes they were subversive now I'm going to use an illustration to make the point and I don't like this illustration at all and you don't like it either and I hope you don't misunderstand me because you'll miss the point but I want to try to press upon you how the, the world of that day saw these people who were being baptized in the name of Jesus of Nazareth I want to impress upon you how they viewed them it would be very similar to the way that you and I view an American who joins Al-Qaeda. Traitor. Dangerous. Subversive. Do you understand, brothers and sisters? Now don't hear me wrong. I'm not saying that they were like Al-Qaeda. I'm saying <laughs> that's how the world viewed them. They were turning the world upside down was the testimony of those in Jerusalem. They were defying the decrees of Caesar. They would not worship the pagan gods anymore. I mean, that's what you did when you lived in that land. They broke their ties from the things of the world. But they didn't separate from the people of the world. They were a signpost of the kingdom of God to them. And they showed the love of God to them when and where they could. But they did not belong to this world. And they understood that. Brothers and sisters, that was the gospel in the first century. A total, complete, utter break with everything and a new entrance into a new kingdom with a new Lord and all of the things that you heard about the Lord Jesus Christ that we have preached unto you that's who he is what a Christ I never heard that gospel I wish I did when I first became a Christian because it would have solved a lot of problems I think if that gospel were preached today it would solve a lot of problems it would take the house of a living God out of just being another segment of American culture and that's what it is right now you understand what I mean you got the department of defense you got the department of economics and you got the department of religion and that's how it is in most people's lives you know this is this is this part of my life that part of my life this part. and oh yeah there's my Christian part no it was all you were part of a new order a new kingdom a new nation and brothers and sisters I don't I, I'm not going to argue with you about this read your new testament it's everywhere read the gospels read the book of Acts and those passages here's where I want to get practical most of us have not heard this gospel and we have not been challenged with this gospel 
but this is the gospel of the kingdom of God it's also the gospel of the grace of God this is not works you can't work for it you simply yield when a person hears this gospel there are of necessity practical things that need to be taken up there are things that have to be dealt with in our lives and I'm going to I'm going to give you four of them one there is the termination of that which is immoral two there is the ending of that which is improper three there is the um, restitution that which is stolen and then there is the ridding of that which is unclean and I'm going to go through these four real quickly here there's the terminating of all that is immoral when you went into those baptismal waters and you pledged allegiance to this new king Jesus of Nazareth you were terminating that which is immoral I'm not going to spend a lot of time in this, but I just want to say this to you. When you read the epistles of Paul, he was constantly dealing with two things because they were so much a part of the culture of his day. In the churches, he was dealing with sexual immorality and he was dealing with idolatry. Constantly. Now, idolatry is not a problem in our society in the form it was then. They literally worshipped idols. They had them in their homes. They had temples dedicated to it. But today we have idols, but they're in a different form. There's the idol of money that we bow down and worship. There's the idol of pleasure. There's the idol of power. And then our celebrities and our sports figures can be idols that compete with allegiance to Christ but that which is immoral is pretty much the same as it was then as it is today I will just say this if if you're a brother or sister in Christ and I'm speaking to those who may be listening to this message and you are practicing immorality then you will not inherit the kingdom of God and I have just quoted Paul in 1 Corinthians 6 and Galatians 5. Hear me, practicing. That means, sisters and brothers, the ending, the turning away from that which is immoral, terminating that which is immoral. There's only one person that can bring the rest of this message, and it is the Holy Spirit because if the Holy Spirit doesn't bring the rest of this message then you or I or both of us will be legalists so I'm not going to talk specifics I'm going to just give you the principle but these are things that if you are someone who wishes to follow Jesus Christ they must be dealt with and the second point then is the ending of that which is improper 
there are improper relationships. There are improper or is improper language. There is improper dress. And then there are addictions. If you're in a relationship and it's bringing you to the world, then that is an improper relationship. You don't want to be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. You can have an improper relationship with a believer if it's improper. I'll give you the best gauge. See, the legalist is waiting to hear specifics. Uh, I'm not going to give any. I'll give you the best gauge of what is improper. It's when people who know you, but don't know you that well, make this statement. I'm talking about unbelievers now. Non-Christians. When they say, you know, I had no idea that Wes was a Christian, but when I found out, it didn't surprise me. That is a beautiful testimony to a Christian life because I'm number one, he's not flaunting it. He's not dressing and speaking absurd and weird, uh, obnoxiously. He doesn't stick out like a sore thumb. Yet, nothing he does in his conduct surprises the non-believer. Oh, makes sense now. That's why he didn't do such and such and such. But I never really noticed it until I found out. Something was different about him. Hmm. I have met Christians. I didn't know they were Christians. But I was shocked to find out that they professed to be Christians. It's the opposite. If the unbeliever says, I didn't know he was a Christian, but when I found out, it didn't surprise me. It's a beautiful testimony. Sisters and brothers, there are things that are improper that a Christian can get involved in or practice. We must, if we will follow the Lord, end the things which are improper. Addictions. We live in an addictive society. And many of us are addictive personalities. Of no fault of ours, it's just the way our DNA is or the way we were raised. You can be addicted to non-prescription drugs. You can be addicted to illegal drugs. Legal drugs. You can be addicted to prescription drugs. You can be addicted to magazines and videos that are immoral. And they're addictive. I don't want to make a terribly strong statement here. But if you're a Christian and you have an addiction to that which is improper and you don't break it, you will not be able to go on with the Lord. I have seen brothers and sisters who had addictions and they broke them by the grace and power of God and their willingness to admit they were addicted and to break it and to submit it to Him. And they've gone on with the Lord. And I have seen other brothers and sisters who were addicted and would not 
give up the addiction and they have never gone on with the Lord. If we will go on with the Lord, we must deal with addictions. And I will tell you this, that there is a way to break any addiction. And I'm not going to take up time by going through it because I'm on a clock here. But if you go to my website, I'm going to give you the URL, ptmin.org forward slash addictions. ptmin.org forward slash addictions. There's a, an entire page that will tell you how to break any addiction. It involves fasting. It involves prayer. It involves scripture. It involves the Eucharist, the cup and the uh, bread. And it involves baptism. And all of them together in a certain way. The third thing is the restitution of that which is stolen. Now, it's not uncommon for someone to come to the Lord and they have things that don't belong to them. Items that they may have stolen from someone else. Or items that they unintentionally stole from someone else. You know what that is? You borrow something and you never return it. You didn't buy it. You didn't pay money for it. A while back I had an item that belonged to someone else. It was only $3 to replace it. But I moved heaven and earth to try to find that person. I heard they were moving and I tried to get in contact with them. I couldn't. So I had a friend go over to their house and leave it at their door. Because I didn't want it in my home. And it belonged to me. And uh, making restitution is cleaning your past. It's concluding your past. It's, it's making things right. Some people have stolen a lot of money. It may take them a long time to pay it back. For some people, it might just be writing a letter. I've come to Jesus Christ. I'm cleaning up my past. I owe you this. Zacchaeus, when he encountered Jesus, was so touched that he said, I will return fourfold of every person I've stolen from. He added interest. The restitution of things which have been stolen. Let me say a word here about if you make restitution with someone, you owe them something. Please do not do it publicly. It should be done in secret. And I want to say a word here about confession of sin very important I hope you never forget it if there is shame involved then brothers and sisters that ought not to be made public the principle of confession of sin is the circle of offense is the circle of confession the circle of offense, if it's that small, that's the circle of confession. If I sin against Wes, I'm to go to Wes privately and confess my sin and make it right. If you sin against your wife, you sin against your husband, you go to your wife, you go to your husband, you don't make it public. It will hurt people. It will hurt you. 
You remember uh, Noah's three kids? He got drunk one night, took all his clothes off. And his younger son saw it and ran back and told his two brothers. He exposed the nakedness of his father. That was Ham. And the two brothers were mortified. And they walked backwards and would not look at the father. They did not want to see him in that shameful state. He had sinned, yes. And they put the cloak over him. And Ham was cursed. Do you remember Joseph, Mary's husband, the father, the unbiological father of our Lord? What did he do when he thought Mary committed adultery, when he found out she was pregnant? Put her away quietly. Yes. He divorced her. He was going to divorce her privately and quietly lest she be put in public disgrace. And the scripture says right before that, he was a righteous man. He did not want to disgrace her in public. Brothers and sisters, if you have things that are shameful that you have done, do not make them public. You will hurt people. People will not be able to look at you, depending on what it is. I don't want to hear it. Get rid of it. And if you have to confess it to Anne brother or Anne sister, then you do that privately. But you better be careful that they take that to the grave. Now, the exception there would be if you sin out in public. Okay? I punch Brian in the face. Everybody sees it. <laughs> then I, the circle of all fa- it's made public. You saw it. Okay, now i got to repent. I'm sorry, Brian. I confess. You all saw that. Or you've done something that directly affects a group of people, like you're stealing from the money box. And even then, even then, you need to be careful. Confess that to a few people. I'm not sure we all want to know you're a thief. <laughs> Anything with shame, brothers and sisters, or disgrace, do it discreetly. All right, and the last thing. The ridding of all things that are unclean. The ridding of all things that are unclean. There are things that are unclean. In Ephesus, that city was the capital of magical arts and sorcerers. And they sold little scrolls that had magic spells and incantations and potions. And they were valuable and they cost a lot of money. And people would buy them to use them to cast spells on people. And the power of a spell was that it was secret. And when the Ephesians, many of them, came to Jesus Christ and bowed the knee to his lordship, Not only were they baptized, but they took all of their magic books, their scrolls, their incantations, and they burned them. And the principle there is, sisters and brothers, if you have something that is unclean, don't give it away. Don't sell it. Destroy it. What's unclean, Frank? Anything that has the touch of the demonic or sin, it is unclean. I still don't understand. The Holy Spirit has to bring this message. If you don't know, the Lord will show you if you ask Him.
there are certain movies that are unclean. There are certain magazines that are unclean. There are certain games that are unclean. There are even certain places that you can walk into downtown Gainesville that are unclean, brothers and sisters, and that a Christian ought not to be in unless you're there to preach the gospel of the kingdom. Anything that will drag you back into the kingdom of darkness is unclean. Sisters and brothers, allegiance to Jesus Christ means the ridding of that which is unclean. Frank Viola, what kind of brother are you? I am a brother who wants to open an avenue for you to deal with the Lord so that He would have a free course in you, not be hindered by anything. I am a brother intent on seeing the Lord get the saints in Gainesville so that you will go on with the Lord so that he would have a people here who he can possess completely brothers and sisters that we would leave behind the trivials so that we can go on to the glories and so that what will be established here will be so strong in Christ that nothing can blow it over let us regard today as being those who just heard the gospel let us regard today as being a day where we give our allegiance to Jesus Christ where we break the ties to those things that are not Him where we give our hearts to the Lord and here is my word to you the kingdom of heaven suffers violence but the violence take it by force they press into all that the kingdom of God is brothers and sisters deal violently with the Lord deal violently with the Lord on these matters come to him and say Lord I bow the knee I want to go on with you I take these things to you violently your heart your walk you and him I'm going to drop one more bomb here at the end Deal violently with your own heart before the Lord. But do not deal with your brother or your sister. David, you deal violently with your own heart. Forget about Wes. (laughs) Brenda, deal violently with your heart. Forget about Paula. Daniel, deal violently with your heart. Forget about Jason. We will not force anyone to do anything 
I'm not here to change your conduct. I'm here to open a door for you to deal with your Lord so that we might go on with Him. So that He can have an expression of the kingdom of God where He is the absolute Lord and head of our entire beings. Forget about your brother, forget about your sister. We will not, we must not make them, force them, try to coerce them. This is between you and God. The Lord is bringing us into a new season and it begins here stepping out and ending those things that belong to the old world and entering into violently even his kingdom or we through much tribulation do enter into the kingdom of God the kingdom of God is something we press into Holy Spirit will have to bring the rest of the message. I have not raised one rule among you here. I have not given you any rules. I have not given you any specific things. I have not said to you, you can't wear this. It's improper. I have not said to you, you can't use this word. It's improper. I have not said to you that you have to get rid of this specific item from your home. It's unclean. I have not said to you, you cannot go to this place or that place. It is unclean. I have not said anything of that nature. I am asking you to deal with the Lord and He will show you if your heart is open to Him. Lord, I'm home. Oh, I'm here. I'm crying.